Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series over the Ten Commandments, titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. Continuing in our conversation then about the fourth commandment, again reminding ourselves that what the fourth commandment says is honor your father and mother that it may be well with you, you may live long on the earth. And as we've been talking uh, these past few weeks, is that what the commandment is really about is what is the Christian's relationship to authority? That's what, the, that's what the broader aspect of the fourth commandment is about. It starts off with the authority, the primary authority that anybody has in their life starts out where? At home, right? With the relationship they have with parent. And that then in the parent-child relationship, what happens is that training then ex- extends itself out into the other spheres of, uh, of authority in life. So, There's the relationship that you would have as a student to a teacher in a school setting. There's a relationship that you would have as an employee to an employer in a work setting. There's the relationship that you would have spiritually as a congregant to the spiritual authority of the congregation and or of a pastor or a a spiritual teacher in your life. And then there's also the relationship that we have as Christians as a citizen to what? To the authority of government in life. So so all of these realms are interconnected. And the point of the fourth commandment is that it all starts where? All starts at home. Yeah, it does. And, And we talked about that a little bit last week with respect to the idea that if respect and honor for the authority at home is not learned... The good news is, is that you get the opportunity to learn it other places, right? Yeah, you do. That's the beauty of it. The problem is it's a lot harder to learn it later and it's more costly to learn it later than maybe that you would learn it necessarily at home. The other, the other part of that is, is that the thing that the home, and this would be from maybe idealistically, at least in the Christian sense, is that at home, you, not only are you learning your relationship to authority, but you're learning it from people who love you. They, there's a love thing there. There's a, there's a care thing there. If you're learning respect from, uh, 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 for authority from law enforcement, there's not necessarily a love there for you. Is that right? Yeah. You know that when you get stopped by a, a police officer, have you ever noticed how polite they are? Have you noticed that, at least around here? Even the state troopers are very polite, I have heard, okay? <laughs> but they're, they are, they're, they're, they're trained to be very respectful and, and very, you know, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, we totally understand how that is. What is your name and registration, sir? I mean, you know, that's, that's what that is. But that, that doesn't mean that there is a love there, right? When we learn this at home, we're learning it from people that, love us and want the best for us. And that's the difference between learning that at home, again, ideally, because some homes don't have that. But ideally, you learn it at home so that then you, that the extension of that would move out to, uh, to those other realms. Now, maybe in teaching world, 
Is there love for students in teaching world, would you say? Those of you that are, are teachers or have been teachers or maybe have experienced that. So, so there's a little bit of that too there, right? But when you get out to those greater realms, at least in terms of government for sure, and uh, maybe work, I don't know, with work, that it might be that way, okay? So, so that's the premise of the fourth commandment. So where we're picking it up today is asking the question, what are the responsibilities that parents have to children? Because one of the things that gets easy to do is to only focus on the, the way that the child views the parent in terms of honor. But is there a, a reciprocal kind of or mutual sort of a relationship there as well that the Bible would give us some, some information about? And we at least pick it up in Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Would somebody read that out loud, please? Richard? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not act, exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so what does it mean to exasperate somebody? And, we're, and since he's talking to fathers, we will only ask fathers that question today, okay? I'm sure that mothers know totally what this is, but I'm interested in what fathers here think. Uh, what is that? What does that mean? To, and I've got some notes here, but I'm curious about what it is you, what would you say that is if you exasperate your children? What, what is that? Frustrate. Frustrate. Now, frustrate seems milder than exasperate. Exasperate seems like take frustrate to a 10 and that's where that would be. Frustrate could be a 2. Well, the, I, I would say exasperate is frustration occurring over and over and over again to the point of not feeling like you can ever succeed. Okay, so could there be a benefit to being frustrated. Yes. What might that be? Learning. Learning. Okay. So if you don't know how to do something, I mean, just to use that example, if you don't know how to use something, how to uh, do something, and you keep trying, and it blows up, blows up, blows up, but eventually it becomes, you, you figure trial and error, mostly error, and then you're successful, you feel like you accomplished something. Like I did this morning. I never knew, so when I got this car, you know, sometimes I tell you about my car. So I got this car that the last year, the car that I had had a CD player in it. This year's car does not have a CD player in it. And because that's the new technology and I'm still, you know, looking for the eight track player in my car, right? <laughs> and so it was very frustrating because I didn't know how to get the music out of the car that I wanted to play other than what was on the radio. So what did the guy tell me to do? Those of you that have the newest technology in your car, what do they tell you to do? You stream it through your phone, right? Well, guess who didn't know how to do that? Until this morning, 
driving in, I figured out how to do it. So I was frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. And do you think that I would ever ask anybody for help in terms of wanting to learn how to do it? No, not in a million years. I'm just going to do it myself until I do it. So frustration in that sense was a benefit to me. Now, what is exasperating? Yeah, Tom. How about, how do you like intentional aggravation? <laughs> yeah. Intentional? Intentional aggravation. Okay, so again, that sort of sounds like you're uh, upping the ante. So what would be the way to do that? How, if you, he says don't do it. He says don't do it. So what's an example of doing it so that we know what not to do? Uh, changing the rules works real well. Oh, see, that's a good one, right? where it starts out as this is what I want you to do or how I want it to be. And then once the kid reaches that, then shifting gears and, and turn it into something else. That would be a way to do it. Shifting and shifting and shifting, right? Yeah. There's also expecting that of your children, but not being willing to give it in return. So you're saying that one way to do it would be to have a high standard for your kids and a low standard for yourself? Is that what you're saying? And I kind of put that on there, that little bit of that do as I say, but not as I do. Yeah, very much so. That would be another way to do it. Yeah, Carl. Major, uh, the exasperation that I've seen with youth and parents is in the uh, athletic programs for kids. Yeah. Parents are trying to live their athletic mentality yeah. through their children, and it's never good enough. Yeah. And instead of allowing those children to enjoy and love what they're doing and grow and talk about, you know, you did so well, but even better if this happened. Yeah. They say, now you did so bad. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the child is just devastated. Right. And uh, this, that's why this upward program really concentrates on positive reinforcement and growth. Uh, and uh, I've seen too much of the other. Yeah. And, and I think in sports, and maybe in academics yeah. is the other place where that happens. Now, part of what's fueling that in our culture today, I just heard this the other day and I, I thought, oh, I, that makes perfect sense, is that um, a lot of the, for example, in b basketball is probably where it shows up the most, but maybe in other sports, is that a lot of the major colleges today start recruiting at, a, at fifth grade. So fifth graders are starting to get letters from uh, major colleges because they're start, they recognize already that at, at fifth grade, or maybe younger, but fifth grade for sure, that um, there are certain qualities about that person and then certain maybe body types and all other kinds of things that they look at, and they already are identifying those. And then what happens for some of those kiddos, and they're quite good at what they do sports-wise, but what happens is they plug them into AAU and other uh, basketball leagues that are not necessarily the junior high you know, team that, of the school you're in, uh, sort of these elite level kinds of things, okay? So because sometimes parents know that there is a possibility that that kid could get a full-ride scholarship to go to college, which might be at any school that runs anywhere from, let's say, uh, 10 grand a year to like 15 or 20 grand a year, in that parent's mind, there is an incentive 
Now, the flip side of it is, is that out of a pool of 100 kids, how many of those kids are actually going to make it? And that's where the, a lot of that pressure comes in. Okay? So it's not just sports-wise. In some of the cultures of people that are coming over from other countries here, there is an extreme amount of pressure put on kiddos to be A+, plus, to get in. You, you have to be in that top percent of your class in order to get into a UT or a Yale or wherever it is you go. So there's always a justification for it, right? And it would be uh, possible that a parent could lose sight of what it, what it is that I'm really trying to do here. Yeah, Brenda. One of the dictionary definitions of exasperate is enrage. Enrage. But I think most people, at least in North America, have this as a a, a gradient. Mm -hmm. Frustrate, exasperate, enrage. Yeah, I think so. And I kind of would look at it that way too. I, I kind of put a lot of things on a scale of one to ten and say, well, at a two, maybe it's healthy and okay. At a five, now we're starting to get into, you know, some difficulty. If I am constantly living at the ten, then I'm creating some difficulties, not just for me, but also for the people in my life. Because sometimes the 10 turns into perfectionism. And you think in terms of perfectionism as a, a problematic thing, um, what's the difference between being preci precision-oriented and perfectionistic? Not much. Who, who do you want in your life to be precision-oriented? Your eye doctor, yes. your eye doctor, right? Your pilot on your, in your airplane. See, precision oriented is a good thing, but can it turn into perfectionism where now I have that expectation of my kids and expectation of, my, of everybody around me? Where the ability to kind of tell the difference between the two is really what makes a big difference. Sure does. Yeah, great point. Uh, yeah, Janet. You were talking about rage. There have been two articles in the paper this week about parents shouldn't spank their children because it makes them aggressive. Parents should not spank their children because they makes them aggressive. Okay, there you go. Proof right there. How many of you grew up being spanked? <laughs> and so did my children. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Now, can you... If you spank a kid at a two, that's different than if you do it at a 10. What's the difference? How angry you are at that moment. Could I go into a rage and then spank my kid? If I do, it's not going to be a spanking. It's not likely to be that. Okay? So part of that is on the person contro controlling himself or, or, or doing self-regulation while I do it. Count to 10, and then whack them, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes. One, two, yes. Maybe do a little deep breathing while you count to 10. Maybe do that, yes, yes. Um, going back to the parents, yeah. a teacher and a high school teacher. Oh, okay, the um, triple whammy here. I'm yeah. tired of parents putting their kids into the AP and pre-AP classes when they can't flat out do it. 
So consequently, oh. all we've done is now we dummy down. Okay. Because we can't fail too many kids. Yeah. There's a quota, I guess, for that. Well, it, you know, you can't have too many failures. So mm -hmm. what do we do? We lower our standards. Sure. And we've continued for my 26 years in Texas. I've seen it every year. So probably pre-AP and AP has helped some kids. It probably has. Well, our AP down here, we teach the AP test. Okay. Um, having my son go to a school up north, that's not what the schools up north do. They teach the curriculum. Oh, I see. They don't just teach the test like we seem to be pushed to. Mm -hmm. So when I taught AP, it was all about how many fives I got. Okay. It wasn't about how much did my children learn in class. It was, what's my average on my AP test? So would you say that that is exasperating to you? Oh, is it? Having students in there that just can't get it, no matter how many times you go over it, how many okay. different ways you go over yeah. it. But yeah, we're always the ones to blame. We're not doing our job. Yeah. Yeah, if you guys, if you guys would just get your act together, that yeah. would be better. But see, you can see where, you can see where the problem of exasperation happens at all levels. Government authority can exasperate citizens, right? <laughs> Church authority can exasperate congregants. Uh, teachers can exasperate students, and parents certainly can exasperate kids. So you know, it's just that the potential for that is always there. All right. Now, what what Paul is saying here in Ephesians, though, is he says, OK, instead of exasperating, do what? See, there's something that's pr prohibited. That's the exasperating. But then there's something that is commended. What is it? But do what? Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So let's kind of talk a little bit about what that is. Foundational truth number 22. Instruction involves what children know of the faith. Training involves living it. They go hand in hand. It's not an either or. Okay? And I think one of the concerns that many of us in, in religious life and in spiritual life have for just from, from a cultural perspective is the high percentage of biblical illiteracy that there is in the world today. And particularly, even in the Bible Belt, where you would think that, oh, gosh, we're a you know, Christian community and there's a church on every corner. And in many sense, there is, right? The, the number of people or the percentage of people who don't even know the basic stories of the Bible is astounding. And to some degree, it, we kind of deserve this in the sense of that I think for years and years and years, at least in church life, we assumed everybody already knew that. And when you assume everybody already knows it, what do you do? You don't teach it. You say, well, we don't have to talk about that because everybody already knows who that is. And so you get generations of that. and you, All it takes is one generation of not having that emphasis. And the next thing you know, you're, you're mentioning in a sermon like Abraham or Isaac or somebody, and, peop and people are saying, who is he talking about, right? So to a certain degree, we're having in church life to go back to the basics. And we're doing more and more of that. That's a good thing, right? To, to, to counteract that. But see, training and instruction, while they go together, they're kind of two different things. Because training involves that sort of everyday practical sort of stuff that where my, the instruction I've received informs me. But how I live it and what I do with it and how do I make decisions about it and then how do I live with the consequences of those decisions, that's the training part. Okay? Make sense? Yeah. And somebody told me, which is really very, was incredibly instructive, uh -huh. 
that you will learn something when it becomes important to you. Oh. So, like for example, you know, my daughter went through middle school, etc. Yeah. And it wasn't until she was probably out of college a year or two, and she started watching a program on history. Mm -hmm. Like History Channel or something? Yeah. yeah. It, it had become important to her at that time. Okay. Regardless of how much yeah. instruction she got in right. school, it was not important to her. That's maybe a, Maybe that's a good point, I guess, to some degree. Although I would say that there still would be a need for basic, still basic stuff. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the great things about what we do at Messiah is, I think anyway, it, uh, with respect to confirmation instruction, okay? I grew up in an era when the way that you did confirmation instruction was every Wednesday after school, we're there like this, right? And uh, in fact, uh, Phil, I think you went through my instruction class, right? You did, so you know exactly what I'm talking about um, in NAC. So uh, that's, the, that's the era that we grew up in. That's the way you did it. Basically, everybody's sitting there, and you have the book in front of you, and we're going through the catechism, and it's question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. That's the way we were taught, okay? I love the way Messiah does it now with the confirmation camp deal and, and there's lots of stuff going on. You know, you guys back there, you kind of went through it, right? And so there's this, this sort of idea that it's building relationships at the same time that it's, it's having a fun way to do it and yet it's a very intensive way to do it. It's just not every Wednesday afternoon. It's in a summer camp sort of setting. There's, there's lots of different ways to do it, but still what's happening is there's both uh, instructional aspect as well as the living aspect. I think it's just seems like today in today's age, the living part of it is harder to do than maybe it was in our day. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Yeah, Carl. Question. I heard that Messiah is the only Missouri Sunday church doing the camp. Is that true? Well, I don't know. I, everybody I talk to, doesn't, they do it the old way, the old school way. And the reason I bring it up is my granddaughter just came through it, and she goes to a different church Yeah. and came here for the camp mm -hmm. and just praises that what happened. Yeah. She loved it and it, grew so much. It's a high investment of energy and money and effort and all those things, but, but the retention is greater. You publish something and pass it on and... You know, try to grow that process. Yeah. It is val very valuable. It's very valuable. It sure is, yeah. You can use the Mary Poppins approach. A little bit, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Is is a way of seeing that. Is, yeah. Is that it's done in such a fun, encouraging way right. versus a... Ooh, a drudge, a have-to, right. you know, right. it, it makes it impression. It was a life study instead of a legalism. And, you know, there is some drudge in it. Would, wouldn't you agree with that? When we're learning stuff, isn't there some drudge involved in it? Yeah, absolutely. Now, it doesn't have to be that way, but I think it just kind of is. There are some things that you just got to do. And, oh, do we have to learn the second article of the creed? Yes, you do. I mean, you do, okay? That's what you do. But... But, but, but again, it comes down to then, how do I take what I've learned, the instruction part, and put it to use in my life? And who will help me with that? See, that's the other part of it, and that's his point here, is that it is, it, in the home, it's going to be a father role. 
But as you go out from the father role into other realms, who are the spiritual fathers that will help me do that? That's the other piece to this. Who's going to walk with me through the time when I'm living my faith? When, when not just that I've learned the instruction part, but now I've got to live the instruction. Who's going who's gonna to be my mentor? See, who's going to talk to me when I foul it up? Who's going to relate to me when uh, I'm struggling with what I'm experiencing in real life seems to to contradict the thing that I learned in my instruction life? Who's going to help me do that? I would challenge any of us here to do that. Fathers, certainly. Spiritual fathers, certainly. But how about the rest of you? To engage in that as well. See? And not be afraid of it, but to see it as an opportunity to walk with somebody, kind of a mentor, apprentice, you know, that sort of idea, to help people kind of make sense. Because there's a lot in the world today that doesn't make any sense. And there's a lot of voices that people are hearing today that say, if you want to make sense of something, the last place in the world you want to go is to a church. And the last thing you want to look at is the Bible. And if, you, if there's no other voice in there to contradict that or to counter that, well, then how are people going to learn to live the faith, not just know it up here? Make sense? Yeah. So when you have the opportunity to be somebody who influences a younger person or another person, don't run away from it. You may be the one. And don't think, oh, I don't know what to say. And oh, I, I failed confirmation. You know, you, 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 don't, you don't have to do that. You can get in the Word. And you can relate that person's life to somebody in the Bible and say, well, here's what Abraham did. Here's what Isaac did. Here's what Moses did. Let's kind of talk about how that relates to you, right? And we can do that. And some of you I know are already doing it. So an example of living the faith or some different ways that that can happen is under a little uh, two there under a point C is devotions and prayers Coming to church is a huge thing. Tithing, walking the walk, dealing with rejection. Okay. Do Christians today have to deal with rejection? Yeah. Do we like it? No. Who's going to be the one to help us make sense of it and not be just totally crushed and then say, oh, okay, fine. I'll just give up on my faith. See, who's going to help you do that? Who's going, to, who's going to be the person that walks with you? Uh, repairing hurt with forgiveness. One of the things that we're going to talk about next week as we finish up the fourth commandment, that's the ideal goal anyway, okay, is how to dissent honorably and with respect. You know what dissent is? What is dissent? How to express your disagreement. Nobody knows how to do that today honorably. Well, how do you do it honorably? Because we have to have a way to do it. Maybe protest is a way, resist is a way. But can we learn from the scriptures on how to do it in a way that still upholds the fourth commandment as opposed to screaming on social media or in person? So we'll talk about that next week, okay? Preparing the child for the journey of faith, okay, is another aspect of that. So uh, one way I was kind of thinking that you could do this is... Um, pay attention to the, and getting back to the, how to avoid exasperating people. Okay. Is pay attention to the ratio of the number of times you praise a kid 
versus criticize. So what would be a good ratio of praises to criticisms that you would, that would be a good thing to use when you're working with a kid? I'm talking about fathers here. Fathers. What do you think? Well, what would you like for it to be for you? Let's start with that. Okay. Let's start with that. What speaks to you, Phil? Three to one. Three to one? Ten to one. Ten to one. Okay, Phil. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, Richard? I'm going to raise him to 20 to 1 because there's this old saying that one negative statement erases the 10 good ones. Mm -hmm. So I still want 10 more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I was thinking 3 to (laughs) 1 to start out with because you got to start somewhere. And the reason why I say that is because most of us are oriented to see the negative more than the positive anyway. We don't even see the positive. Mm-hmm. So you've got to train yourself to see the positive. And then remember to mention it. So three to one is a great place to start off with. Then work your way up to five to one. Because is there room for criticism? And maybe the better word is critique because sometimes criticism is kind of a negative thing. But yeah, because when somebody's erring, when somebody's going off the path, part of the, the, uh, part of the mentorship, if you want to call it that, is to, is to be able to say, wait, well, you're off the path. Let's get you back on the right path. So there's, a, th- there's room for that, okay? But obviously, if somebody only ever hears the negative, and it's like a one to five, after a while, you want to feel exasperated. That's the way to do, that's the way to do it, okay? Yeah, uh, Dan. Now, there's a pretty extensive research study that was made on that study in the business world. Okay, a study in the business world was done on this? And they came up with a 5 to 1 ratio. 5 to 1. Which is what it would take to have a, a productive quality workplace. Okay. Then they extended it. They did extend it. And they <coughs> extended that research into marriages. Oh, into marriages. And they said it took a 6 to 1. 6 to 1. You're not going to say any more about that, is it? What to... <laughs> yeah, Dennis, if you would come on up here to the front, I'll be happy to. Yeah, but 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 again, you would. That makes a lot of sense because in a marriage relationship, there's the emotional aspect of it, the intimacy aspect of it, the whole connection thing that is going to be a little different. But still, the fact remains that of of that ratio to pay attention to the ratio. Okay. I mean, the ratio's got a name of the researcher. I just can't remember what it was. Yeah, if you'll, if you'll email that me, that would give me additional authority when I go home then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I think tone has, you know, Tone. Like when you are disciplined, oh, I mean, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I remember my son told me once, I don't like your tone. <laughs> so I, your son said that to you? Wow, and did you like whack him right after that? or? <laughs> Oh, he was right. Holy cow. Well, I learned with him, though, if, if my tone was, you know, I could say, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I'm going to run the dishwasher. I need you to get all those cups out of your, your room. Or right. I could say, how many times have I told you to get in there? You know, oh, sure. He would totally, if I just said, I'm going to run the dishwasher a little bit, can you go get the cups? Even though I wanted to say, you know, mm-hmm. how many times have I told mm-hmm. you? But, but with him, yeah. it just, the tone just mm-hmm. made all the difference in the world. It does. Uh, it does. 
didn't ask anything to. I think one of the hardest things is when you have a kid exasperating you is how do you not turn back around and exasperate the kids with your tone. So tone is really a, a critical thing as well. When, when the tone is off, that kid's not likely to hear you anyway, or they're only going to hear the tone and they're not going to hear, they're not going to hear anything else, right? Is that, we're, we see some affirmation going on back there. Yes, very good. Thank you. Good, good, good. All right, now here's the other piece to it. If you really want to go deep beyond praise versus criticism, okay, take it the next level into encouragement because encouragement is different from praise, Right? Praise looks at the action that somebody did and or perhaps even the result that you wanted. Right? So if you tell somebody to make their bed and then they make their bed and you praise them, what are you saying? Good job making the bed. Right? And that's a good thing to do as opposed to saying, uh, uh, it's nice that you made your bed, but how come you threw all the clothes on the floor? You know, I mean, that sort of thing. Right? What encouragement does is different. Because what encouragement does is it looks at the qualities in the person rather than the actions that the person did. So an example of a quality is what? Just pick a, pick a word that would describe a quality in somebody. Responsibility. responsibility. So the qual that's more of a, a, a thing, but being responsible, let's use that word as, the, as a quality. So if you notice a kid being responsible... That's different than saying something about their performance. You can put performance in there, but if you limit it to that, what happens if the result of the performance always falls short? See, that you're, you're sort of stuck. But encouragement has to do with finding the quality in somebody. So the quality goes deeper. And so part of it is training yourself to find the quality and then doing what? Saying it, saying it. There's so many, it's so, it's so amazing how often we see it, but we don't say anything. We go, oh, that's so nice, but we don't say anything, all right? And I can't tell you how many people I've heard say this. They'll say, well, I never knew that my parents thought highly of me in this sort of thing until I heard it from whom? Somebody else, okay? I heard it from my aunt, or I heard it from my grandma. I heard it from my, you know, the person down the street said, oh, your parents, they just think you're amazing. That, they're amazed at everything you can do, right? And, and yet the kid's going, boy, I would have loved to have heard that myself, right? So it's not an indictment. It's just simply to say that sometimes we don't say it unless it's a criticism, then we do say it. But then if that's the only thing that a person hears, then you end up feeling like you're exasperated, right? There's nothing that I can do that's ever going to be good enough, or there's nothing I can do that will ever be enough. Yeah, Marty. Well, the, the word but, because you used that a few minutes ago, but. when you said, oh, your room is looking, you made your bed but. up, yeah. but why couldn't you clean up your, you know, pick up yeah. your clothes? Yes. That praise totally got negated because the kid hears, but I didn't do it good enough well enough. It's, oh, your picture's wonderful, but, you know, if you had just done da-da-da-da-da-da, yeah, says it's not perfect, sure. it could be improved. That's right. So, yeah. you have to be careful. Where yeah, so just get the butts out of your life, okay? <laughs> 
All right. If you're going to get the buts out of your life, though, you still need a conjunction in there. So what's, what's the word you're going to use instead of, instead of but? You could say semicolon. All right. You could do that. Yeah. And you could say and. You know, and is a little like weird sounding, but actually you could do that. So to every but becomes an and. Okay. So let's have everybody try that. We'll see, uh, we'll see how that works. Okay, well, let's keep on going, all right? So now, what is the responsibility that parents have to teach or model their relationship? So see, part of the deal with kids is that they learn by watching what we do. So it's more about what they catch from us than it necessarily is that we sit them down in their high chairs and we have catechism with them, right? It isn't like that, all right? So here's what uh, Deuteronomy 11 says. Would somebody read that out loud, please, for me? Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit down or sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Okay, thank you very much. That's Deuteronomy 11, 16 to 19, okay? So he says, be careful. Now, again, we remember he's talking to the Old Testament people as they are going into uh, uh, getting ready to go into the uh, promised land. Right. And so they've already done the journeys through the wilderness, all those kinds of things. So he says, be careful or you will be enticed. Do we have enticing going on today? So what is likely to entice somebody? To do what? To turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. What's, what is it that could entice you to do that today? Sports. It seems they always want to play them on Sunday. So sports is the object of enticement, okay? But you think in terms of what, what entices us in terms of sports would be that whatever it is we think that participating in that sports will do for us, right? And then there's a trade-off. As opposed to going to See, so I make the trade-off in terms of, well, here's all the pros and cons, all the good things I get out of sports and all the good things I get out of church. That's a tough measurement, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, go Wednesday night instead. Go Wednesday night instead. There you go. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a way. I mean, uh, the PGA, I know they probably said a lot of them will have a Bible study before they go out on the courts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you make that com you make that a commitment. Yeah, you do. You do. You make that a commitment. All right. All right. So what 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 the Moses says here, what God says through Moses is, is that part of the modeling that goes on in ter is in terms of the way that we tie the the uh, the biblical message or tie the, the spiritual growth to the daily uh, rituals that go on in life. 
So he says in verse 16, fix these words of mine in your heart and mind. Tie them as symbols on your hands. That's one of the things that, that the, uh, the, the Jewish folk who took this very literally, mostly would be in, fair, in the Pharisee world, was they literally had these, these uh, I forgot what they were called, huh? phylacteries, that's what it was, where it would be a, like a headband with a little box hanging down in front that would have the commandments in there. And every time you walk, if you have something dangling from the front of your forehead, what does it do? It goes bump, 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 bump. Yeah. So literally, <laughs> literally pounding it into your head, right? Yes. All right. Now, you, you know, you think we, la- we kind of laugh at that today and go, oh boy, you know, I can't see doing that. But what would have been the message of doing that? I got to get it in there somehow, Right. The prominence of it in my life. Now, again, you can take it way to the extreme, and then you're afraid to get in an elevator on Sunday or turn your range on, which you guys don't have to worry about, right? So, I mean, that's the, so you can take it to the extreme, but the point of it is, is a high regard for it. And maybe we ought to get back to a little bit of that today. A high regard for it. So that we do what? We teach it to our children. We talk about it. When we sit down at home, when we're walking along the road or driving in the car, when you lie down at night and when you get up, there is a certain amount of repetition that goes along with this, is there not? And sometimes we think Sunday morning's enough, Wednesday night's enough. I don't know, maybe it's not enough anymore. And maybe there is the idea that it's more than just that one shot deal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So foundational truth number 23, take advantage of the wonderful teaching opportunities which God provides when blessings come our way and when we deal with hardship or injustices. So what sort of teaching opportunities are you aware of that would happen every day or maybe happen this past weekend? Anybody have one? Anybody have one? I bet you did. I'm just wondering if you noticed it. <laughs> Apparently not. Oh, John, John noticed one. Well, okay. Our, our granddaughter lives with us, and uh, her teacher, every day there's a software program, and she has a list of 10 things for behavior in class every day. Yeah. And it's either a smiley face, a circle between a smiley face and a sad face, or a sad face. <laughs> okay. And, of course, she came home Thursday with a couple of sad faces. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the issue was what you were talking about. If I only address that, yes. and not about the good things she did during the day, right. she's only going to remember oh, she got in trouble for swinging her lunchbox around or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That was, it, it made me kind of stop and think about it. Mm-hmm. But, but it's kind of neat to get the daily report, too, because now she comes home and says, how did I do? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and so she's already figured that out, that if I can get more smiley faces then I'm going to have a better day. Yeah. I think that we'll start instituting that at Messiah from now on. (laughs) And each of you on a quarterly basis will get a report and it'll have a smiley face on it or it'll have a downy face on it. Yeah. That's thank you, John. That's an excellent idea. Perfection is not possible for humans who are born in need of grace. Yeah. So you need grace. Yeah, that's right. So again, the teaching opportunity might be in that moment 
to, to talk about the idea of forgiveness, or it might be talking about, you know, God working and helping us. I mean, there's all different kinds of ways. The other, the other piece to it is that there might also be an opportunity to talk about the qualities <laughs> that she has inside, because quality emphasis isn't going to show up on the behavioral list. But in the behaviors can be some qualities. She might be a very, well, I know her. So she's a very precocious, but sweet. And that sweetness, see, by, by catching her in the act of being sweet and then saying, I notice how sweet you were when you pet the kitty or didn't hit your brother, you know, however you want to say that. Is it, what you're doing is reinforcing the quality that goes deeper than the action. Does that make sense to think of it that way? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Well, guess what? We've come to the end of the time. So I'm going to bring this in next week with uh, uh, the, the close of the fourth commandment as we talk about uh, wrapping that up. And then we're also going to uh, delve a little bit into Luther's understanding of the two kingdoms so that we do get a sense of what is the relationship of church and state and church and uh, of, of faith and that sort of thing. And how do I, as a Christian citizen, function in a, uh, uh, under a government authority, which may or may not support my, uh, my, my uh, religious liberty? And so that would have been very much something that Paul would have dealt with in the, in the days of uh, the Roman Empire. But there are some folks that feel that maybe there's a bit of encroachment uh, coming out of our, uh, our society as well. Okay, so we'll, we'll have some fun with that. Okay, let's uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity that we have to be together today. Thank you as we continue our conversations through the uh, fourth commandment that there just seems like there's so much there for us to learn from and so much for us to be uh, challenged by. For those of us that are parents, Lord, we know it's a, it's a, it's a daunting task to be a parent. For those that are teachers, that, that it is a daunting task to be a teacher. For those that are in any form of authority in our world today, uh, this, is a, this is a challenging thing. So we pray, Lord, that uh, as we kind of get informed in this through the fourth commandment study, that we're also encouraged by the fact that we know that, that you're ultimately in charge of the world. And that because you are, as the loving God and as the loving Father, that you want the best for us and that respect for authority includes that. Watch over us this week, dear Lord. Be with us as we, uh, as we go through our week and uh, bring us uh, safely back together again next week. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, 
Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.